Please turn with me in your Bible to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. As we are going to end studying the life of Samson this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I'm excited to get into your word. It's so good. Thank you for giving us the life of Samson and what it teaches us about you and the nature of sin. We're all coming from different places, different joys, different struggles. Would you open up our ears? Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Father, would you send your spirit to bless the study, cause us to learn more about Christ. Christ, would you be magnified and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Samson may be one of the most frustrating characters in all of Scripture. He started his life with such potential. There was a call that was placed upon his life before he was even conceived. Yet, we find that he had incredible weakness. An extremely strong man with yet an incredible weakness. He always walked in this path of compromise. Last week, we saw that he was emotionally driven instead of spirit-led. And how easy it is in our lives to be driven by anger, to be driven by pride, instead of being led by God's spirit. This morning, we're going to talk about this, the nature of sin. What is the nature of sin? What does it do to us? Samson's life as he dies, as he comes to a premature death, really gives us a strong warning about sin. As we go through this chapter, there's going to be four things that we're going to highlight Uh, Please write those down. I find if I write things down during a message, it seems that I take a lot more home. So let's begin our journey in verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Samson goes to this Philistine city, Gaza. Sees a prostitute, sees a harlot, decides to go into her to have sexual relationships. So if you are taking notes, write this down. He's comfortable in sin. He's comfortable in sin. The way that the language reads here is it doesn't seem to be a very big deal for Samson to enter into a sexual relationship with a prostitute. He's driven by his eyes, the lust of his eyes. He wants this, and so he goes and he takes it. It's almost like Samson's going to the grocery store. It's no big deal. It's almost like Samson's going to get a cup of coffee. He's going into a harlot, and he's become very comfortable with sin. This is a dangerous place for us to be in our lives when we're comfortable with sin. It's like being comfortable with a poisonous snake, a black mamba over in Uganda, a cobra. It's like being comfortable with a lion. We've seen tamed lions, and eventually, what happens sometimes The lion's not so tame and it eats the master. We think we've got sin under control. We think we've got it under wraps. But all of a sudden we'll find that sin is destroying us. So Samson's in this place where he's become comfortable with something that is very dangerous. If you're in that place this morning and you find yourself being comfortable in sin, look out, pay attention. This study is for you. Is it a big deal that Samson enters into sexual immorality, that he has this relationship with the harlot? Absolutely. I want to pause here for a second and answer that question. Why is sexual immorality such a big deal to God? 
Why is it such a big deal for God's people to engage in sexual sin? I'd like to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll be reading from verse 15 to verse 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. The first reason that sexual immorality is a big deal for believers is because you're a member of Christ. You're a member of Jesus. You're joined to Jesus. So the moment that we engage in sexual sin, we are bringing Christ into that act. Christ lives inside of you. Christ doesn't leave us when we choose to engage in sexual sin. He's brought into it. How many beds has Christ been brought into that are defiled? He's been in that bed with the harlot. He's been in that bed with the prostitute. He's been in that bed of adultery. That's what's being declared here. Church, that's heavy. That's intense. Do we really believe that? That should cause some fear of God in our, in our lives in all areas of sin. Christ is joined with me and I'm bringing him in to this place. It goes on in verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Why is sexual immorality a big deal? Because sex is a big deal. God created it. God designed it. And he says, when you have sex with someone else, you actually become one flesh with them. You're joined to them. Samson wasn't viewing sexual intimacy this way. He's just looking at it as the physical. Nobody goes in and has a relationship with a harlot thinking, I'm being joined to that person. Someone doesn't have a one-night stand when they're thinking appropriately about sexual intimacy. You become one flesh with them. Why did God create sex this way? To bring together husbands and wives. It's the glue inside of a marriage. Your soul is actually bonded with their soul. So if you're going around and sleeping with a bunch of different people, if you're treating sex the way Samson treated sex, then you're bonding with them, and then you've got to rip it off. And you think of that taking place with, with your soul, and it's going to bring damage. It's going to bring hurt. And so God loves us, and he says, I don't want this for your life. It's going to destroy you. You're becoming one flesh. He goes on to say, Flee sexual immorality, run from it. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. This is interesting. God's saying there's spiritual ramifications of sexual immorality. You're joined to Christ. There's a real impact upon your soul, but there's also an impact upon your body. It destroys your body. Every other sin is outside the body, but sexual immorality, it's going to affect your body. Bear with me on this, but we live in a culture that is very crazed about health right now. Like organic is in. That's the thing to do. Gluten-free and all those kinds of things. And I've come to realize the value of eating healthy. If you've come to church here for a long time, you know that's been a big transition for me. But I see it. I, I get it. I, I understand it. There's a, there's a value to it. But this is also what's happening in our culture. Eat healthy, eat organic, eat gluten-free, but sleep with whoever you want. 
if you want what's healthy for your body, you might want to eat organic, but also adopt God's heart for sexual intimacy. Try this out. Organic in your sex life. Keep it organic, church. A little bit gluten-free in the bedroom. You want real health? You want your body to be health? Go that direction. What am I saying? What is organic sex, if you would? It's between a husband and wife inside of the commitment of marriage. If you're not married, go that direction and commit to God's heart. Hey, that's for free. You guys can take that. Share that wherever you want. (laughs) It affects the body. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're the temple. If you're the child of God, if you're born again, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a huge thing when you understand the Old Testament. The temple was sacred. The temple was set apart. God's presence was there. And now, God's presence isn't in a building. It's in his people. You're the very temple of the Holy Spirit. We see from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 why sexual immorality is such a big deal to God. Verse 2 of Judges 16. When the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying in the morning, when it's daylight, we will kill him. Samson has been wreaking havoc on the Philistines. He's their enemies. They're saying, we got him. He's come into our city. He's with this harlot all night. We're going to surround him. When he comes out in the morning, we're going to arrest him. We're going to kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Samson, in essence, is saying, I'm bigger than the consequences. I can go have a relationship with a harlot. Now the enemy has surrounded me, and I'm so strong, I'll just grab the doors from the gates and put them on my shoulders. I'll rip out the gate posts and go up to the hill. It's not going to affect me. Maybe that's kind of been your attitude towards sin and the nature of sin. I can do what I want. I can sleep with whoever I want. I can look at whatever I want. I can say what I want. I can do what I want. And it's not going to catch up with me. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm bigger than the consequences. Well, stay tuned because the consequences are going to come. Proverbs 6 tells us the reality of what happens when we engage in adultery or engage with a harlot. It says, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by the means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. Samson doesn't realize it, but he's being reduced to a crust of bread. An adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on coals and his feet not be seared? Samson thinks he's bigger than the consequences, but the consequences will come. Verse 4. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Oh, how sweet. Samson fell in love. Finally, a little bit of a deeper relationship than just the lust of the eyes. But what was Samson's concept of love? 
What was his definition of love? Did he understand God's commitment to love and what it really means to love a woman? He's not going to marry Delilah. He's not going to pursue her with any kind of sexual purity. But he's so quick to say, oh, I'm in love with Delilah. May I encourage you before you just slap the word love onto a relationship to think of it, do you have God's love towards that person? It's probably more accurate that Samson lusted Delilah, but he thought it had the feelings and emotions of love. Nonetheless, this is more than a one-night stand. It's a bit of a deeper relationship. In verse 5, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Samson may have been seeing love, but Delilah was seeing dollar signs. 1,100 pieces of silver from each of the lords? She's going to be independently wealthy from this moment forward. Her mission? Find the secret source of his strength. They knew Something supernatural was happening. This is more strength than any human being could have on his own. Verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and, what, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and become like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now the men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. Did you catch that? These Philistines are in the room with Samson and Delilah. Samson's all bound up with the, the bowstrings, and here she says to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you've mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. Point number two, calloused by sin. Calloused by sin. Because notice what Samson does once he finds out that Delilah has betrayed him, tried to turn him over to his enemies for him to be arrested and possibly killed. Verse 11 so he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have been used, then I shall become weak and become like any other man. Can you believe this? This is the point where Samson should have terminated the relationship. <laughs> Delete. This is not healthy. Why am I continuing in this? Any person with any common sense would say, she just tried to kill me. She just tried to turn me over to the Philistines and she manipulated me. And I told her what was supposedly the source of my strength and she handed me over to them. Samson doesn't do that because he's been calloused by sin. We've learned from Samson's life, sin makes you stupid. Say it with me. Sin makes you... Say it like you mean it. Sin makes you... One more time. Sin makes you... In the upper room, sin makes you sin makes you stupid. It does, doesn't it? Our lives have bear witness of that at different times. We're calloused by sin. Everybody around us can say, this is a terrible decision 
this is a terrible relationship. Why are you doing this? But something that's clearly bad appears to be good to us because we've been deceived by sin. In Hebrews 3, verse 12 and 13, it describes this. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you who have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Talking about the nature of sin will tend to be comfortable in sin, and then eventually we'll be calloused by our sin. We're deceived by it, and the sin makes our heart hard, and we're capable of things that we never thought we would be capable of. Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I believe that God gives us Samson's life to show us how foolish we can become in the deceitfulness of sin. I don't think Samson was stupid. I think he became stupid because he chose to walk in sin. He had a great spiritual heritage. We'll find as we'll continue to read, he knew where the the boundaries were. This shows us how dangerous sin is in our lives, why we should run from sexual immorality. Let's see where this all leads. Verse 12. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Try, Try to imagine this. Samson's asleep and wakes up with these ropes. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Breaks the ropes and trying to wake up and hear the Philistines in the room and he cleans their clock once again. Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, until now you've mocked me and you tell me lies. You tell me lies. Tell me, tell me, tell me what you may be bound with. This is another opportunity for Samson to run for his life. But instead, he gets closer to the source of strength. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Why is it closer to the source of strength? Because he was a Nazarite. He'd never had a haircut out of his commitment and devotion to God. He'd already broken other aspects of the Nazarite vow, but he hadn't cut his hair. He knew in his heart that he was getting closer to this source of strength. So he says, now take my hair and put it into the web of the loom, and then I won't have any more strength. So verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Now that's clever of Delilah, isn't it? She threw out the L word right there. She's like, if you really loved me, Samson, if you, if you really loved me, why would you continue to mock me these three times? Why didn't Samson say, if you really loved me, you wouldn't try to kill me? <laughs> this couple's messed up. They need counseling, don't they? <laughs> you thought your marriage was bad. You're doing great. So she throws out the little I love you trick and you've told me these lies, you've mocked me these three times, you've mocked me these three times and told me and have not told me where your great strength lies. 
And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. She pestered, she pressed. She pestered, she pressed. Samson, please tell me. Samson, Samson, Samson. And he's finally like, oh man, I wish I was dead. I'm just going to drive off a cliff. This is terrible. He's in a terrible place, in a terrible relationship. But instead of repenting, getting right with God and getting out of this relationship, he stays in it, even though he was vexed to death. Now he breaks down in verse 17 that he told her all of his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me and I'll become weak and be like any other man. Interesting. Samson knew where his strength came from. He knew that his strength was found in his last little bit of commitment to God. In this Nazarite vow of being devoted to the Lord. He also knew where the boundary was. He knew if he stepped over this last boundary, the hammer was going to fall. The strength would be gone. He would be as weak as any other man. We destroy our lives one step at a time. Much of this study has been directed towards men because I think we as men struggle a lot in the same ways as Samson. A lot of things to apply for women as well. Strong men self-destruct. Strong men make terrible decisions. And a lot of times we want to say, I just kind of fell into it. How did this happen? When we've been stepping into it day after day. Samson didn't get here overnight. Day after day, he continued to walk away from the Lord and to walk into compromise. He knew where the boundary was. In verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more. For he's told me all of his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought her the money in hand. She knows it's different. She knows she's been told the truth. The Philistines know it's different. They bring the money this time. Then she lured him to sleep on her knees and called for a man. And he had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and strengthen, and his strength left him. Third point, consequence from sin. Consequence from sin. His hair gets cut off. The first consequence is he's tormented by his lover. Here, this woman that he thinks loves him as he's deceived in sin wakes up. Could you imagine how weird this would feel? You've had this long hair your whole life since you can remember. He liked having it in seven locks. I'm still curious of what his hairstyle was. I'm convinced that it may have been dreads, these seven locks of, of dreadlocks. Knowing just Samson's character, I'm sure he kind of liked it. He's like, liked his hair gone. It's gone. And here's Delilah just tormenting him. Maybe even spitting in his face. You fool. You thought I loved you. She's got all the money in her hands. Laughing. And then his strength is gone. His strength is gone. When we walk away from the Lord, one of the consequences that comes in our lives is that supernatural strength that he provides those Holy Spirit type of moments where we go, this isn't me. I know that this is the Lord. This is God's grace. 
He's giving me insight into this situation. He's giving me a heart for this person. And that departs. His strength is gone. That's one of the consequences that came from his sin. I think verse 20 is the greatest consequence. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. The greatest consequence was his relationship with God. God said, okay, Samson, I've had enough. I'm going to depart. I'm going to let you handle this on your own. Samson's heart was so hard that he didn't even realize that God had departed from him. He didn't even realize that his strength was gone. It felt normal for God's presence to depart. Church, it should not feel normal for God's presence to depart from our lives. There should be something inside of us that says, I I miss the Lord. I miss his closeness. I miss his nearness. Something's wrong. Something's come between me and the Lord. But for Samson, it felt completely normal. For God to be with him and for God to depart from him, he couldn't tell the difference. This lets us know how long that Samson had been in this dark and spiritual state. Please hear this with the consequences of sin. The greatest consequence of sin even before what it does to our marriages and what it does to our kids, what it does to the body of Christ is what it does to our relationship with God, what it does to our Father's heart. God's light. He can't fellowship with darkness. There can't be a closeness when we're walking in rebellion to Him. If you're in that place and you're starting to experience the consequences of sin, the first thing that needs to be restored is your relationship with God. The first thing that you need to acknowledge is God's departed. God's not near to me. And we know inside of the New Covenant and the New Testament, like I mentioned earlier, that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, but the Spirit of God can be quenched. Our friendship with God, there can be a wall between us and the Lord. Another consequence, a physical consequence, then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes put out his eyes. It hit me in studying the life of Samson this week that what was Samson's big problem? It's his eyes. It was always getting him in trouble. He saw, he lusted, he acted. So what does God do? And a consequence for Samson over a long period of time, it says, boom, I'm taking your eyes. He loses both of his eyes. He's blind for the rest of his life. Where did they take him? And they brought him down to Gaza. Verse 1, where did he visit the harlot? Gaza. Where was he, the big, bad, tough guy that could always get out of the consequences? Gaza. Where is he taken back to now as a prisoner? Gaza. God took him back to Party City and said, you're going to be a prisoner here inside of Party City. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. He's shackled. He's shackled to this big wheat stone, the grinding stone. And there's a piece of wood coming off of it, and he would push that stone in circles around and around, grinding and grinding and grinding. And you thought your life was a daily grind. Look at Samson. He's literally grinding and he's grinding and he's grinding. Church, sin has consequences. 
That's the nature of sin. May we never forget that. Get a good visual of Samson here. His eyes are plucked out. He's shackled. He's grinding. God's presence has departed. He doesn't even realize it. Sin is never worth it, church. It's never worth it. The little moment of pleasure isn't worth the certain pain that it's going to bring in our lives. That's the message that we get from Samson here. Verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow again and after it had been shaven. Here we have a hint of the redemption to come. God's not done with Samson. His hair begins to grow. Verse 23, now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God for they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land and the one who multiplied our dead. They're having a field day on Samson. Dagon was the half-fish man god as the Philistines were seafaring people. Look at what our God has done. He's delivered Samson into our hands. They're having a worship day for Dagon. So what do they do? They get Samson, verse 25. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them and they stationed him between the pillars absolute humiliation. This is humiliating for Samson. He's brought in. He's led in. His eyes are plucked out. Performed for us, being mocked in front of the Philistines. Verse 27, verse 26, then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars which support the temple so I can lean on them. Samson was so strong, but now he has to be led in by a child, by a lad. He turns to the lad, he turns to the boy and says, put my hands on the pillars. Now the temple was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching where Samson performed. This temple was probably in a shape like a rectangle, maybe a square, we don't know the shape, but it provided seating on the roof where you could look down into the temple and see Samson performing. All of the lords of the Philistines are there, 3,000 men and women on the roof watching. Verse 28, then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson called on the Lord. Oh, Lord God. It's significant that he says, Lord. Lord is master. Samson's finally surrendering, giving himself over to God. This has always been the problem for Samson. Who's going to have authority? Who's going to be the boss? It's always been Samson. Now here at the very end of his life, He's going to die in this scene. He cries out to God. He says, I'm ready for you to take control. Remember me. Those dark days, blinded, with the millstone, he must have thought, God has forgotten me. Maybe you're there. and You're saying, I just feel like I've gone too far. I'm a modern day Samson. My life is a mess. Has God forgotten me? Will God be gracious to me? 
God hasn't forgotten you. And what Samson finds in this verse is he finds repentance. And he's going to end his life on a positive note. He falls forward instead of falling backward. You can't undo sin. You can't go back and undo it. But you can repent. Some things that we do can't be undone. Like some texts that we have sent. Have you ever been texting fast? And typing, and all of a sudden you texted something that you didn't intend to text, or maybe autocorrect kicked in, and you hit send, and you're like, oh my, I just put a really bad word in my text. Then you realize it was a group text. Ah, I was responding to a group text. Church, that can't be undone right there. There's certain things in life you can't go back and undo, but you can repent. Write this down. There's going to be two responses to failure. Regret or repentance. Regret or repentance. Samson finds repentance. Regret is, I feel bad. I feel remorseful. I'm sorry. And we get overwhelmed in this pit of regret, but there's no change. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of direction. I'm, I'm here. And oh, Lord God, would you remember me? God, would you provide strength to me again? Would you begin to flow in and through my life? I'm turning away from my sin. I'm turning back to you. As we've been addressing men for the last few weeks, I think that there's a lot of men through the course of this study that carry a lot of regret on our shoulders. Women tend to find their value in relationships and men find their value in accomplishments. That tends to be the way things go. If you're doubting this, just notice when women go to the bathroom. You ladies go in clans, don't you? Guys, when we use the restroom, we go alone. And we don't talk in the restroom. That, that, you can't do that. You lose your man card if you do that. <laughs> but you ladies, you, you go together. Like any, anybody else need to use the restroom? Come on, ladies, let's, let's go. And there's this conversation happening from what I hear, <laughs> from what I'm told. You find value, more value in relationships. We find value in accomplishment. So when men fail, we take it really hard. And we walk around with this regret oh man, I, I've sinned sexually in my life. I've blown it and I've experienced some of the consequences of it. Oh, this regret. I've acted in anger. I've, I've acted in pride. That's not what God would desire. He wants repentance. And what we'll find as we repent, notice what God does in verse 29. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them one on his right hand and the other on his left. So picture him there with, with the pillars. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might. And the temple fell on the Lord's and the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. He literally fell forward. He's pushing with all of his might. The pillars break way and he falls 
forward. He ends his life falling forward. Every time we fail, there's an opportunity to not fall back, but to fall forward. This brings us to our last point this morning, and it's the conqueror of sin. The conqueror of sin. Samson's death accomplished something. Each judge, each deliverer, points us to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate deliverer. The reason that we can have confidence in God when it comes to repentance and areas of failure and rebellion is because of Jesus' death upon the cross. Amen? And Jesus hung upon the cross, upon Calvary, to provide forgiveness for our failure, to provide forgiveness for our rebellion. Past tense, future, present. I said that in the wrong order, but you get the idea. And when we turn to the Lord in repentance, we can be confident that he forgives because of the conqueror of sin, Jesus Christ. When Christ was nailed to the cross, so was our sinful nature. Talking about the nature of sin, my old man was nailed to the cross so that the power of sin could be broken. Our old man is buried with Jesus and we're risen in newness of life so that we can be confident that we have forgiveness but also that we can be confident to have a different future. We don't have to continue in the same pattern of sin because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us confidence that he has conquered sin. Aren't you thankful for that? Church, we don't have to live in regret. Men and women, we don't have to live in regret. Ladies, I know you live in regret too. You don't have to be there. I don't have to be there. Change your mind, change your direction, crying out to the Lord, clinging to the cross, experiencing his grace and forgiveness, God responded to Samson. Would you have responded to Samson? Would you have restored to Samson that strength? God does because he's gracious. I've got a little bit of homework for you. Is that okay to do even though the Broncos are playing today? So a little bit of homework for some time today. Write down Hebrews 11. Put it down, take a mental note of it. Read Hebrews 11 today. I think you'll be blessed and this is why is you're going to find that Samsung is in there. Samsung. Oh, I mean Samson. Samson. Samson's in Hebrews 11. Samsung, like the phone? If you didn't get it on the way home, Samson, S-A-M-S-O-N, is in Hebrews 11. Why? Why do you think he's in Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11 is an example of people that God wants us to model their faith. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I want you to have faith like these individuals. And he puts Samson in the list. I think it's because of right here. Right here. Samson showed faith in the character and the nature of God. Somewhere he knew that God was gracious. Somewhere he knew that God was long-suffering. And he says, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to cry out to him and rely upon his grace. And in moments of failure, we're to follow the model of Samson at the end of his life and fall forward. We end the chapter in verse 31. And his brothers and all of his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtoloth in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he judged Israel 20 years. We end the life of Samson. Keep reading ahead because we're going to continue journeying in the book of Judges. And let's stand together and pray.
Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would put lessons of Samson's life into our hearts, transform our lives, and change us. May there be real transformation that takes place. And this morning, as we draw near to you in this area of failure, in this area of sin and rebellion, may we discover what it means to repent and experience your grace and experience your mercy. May we have a healthy understanding of the nature of sin and the damage that it brings in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you do your work? As we continue in an attitude of prayer, if you'd just be praying in your heart that God would work in in this moment. If you've never come to a place of having the reality of Jesus, for Jesus to be real in your life, I grew up going to church and I heard a lot about Christ, but he wasn't real in my life until I was in high school. And you're struggling and you're wrestling and there's things going on in your heart and your life and you say, you know what? There's some emptiness that's here. I can't seem to have victory over sin. I want to tell you that there's a gap, there's a divide between you and God. And that was the case for all of us because we're all sinners. And Jesus came to bridge that gap. He died upon the cross for you. He rose again for you. And he gives the invitation that whosoever believes is saved. What are you believing in? Believing in Jesus, that he's God, that he died for your sin and rose again. And like Samson, a simple prayer that says, Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. God responds and he grants salvation. He begins to work inside of you, comes into your life and transforms you from the inside out. If you don't know Christ as your savior, the biggest issue in your life is not sexual immorality. The biggest issue in your life is will you receive Christ's love? Will you repent of your sin? Will you turn away? and allow Christ to take a hold of you. Receiving Christ as your Savior means change. Not change that we produce, but change that He produces. If you don't want your life to change, you're not ready to receive Christ as your Savior. But if you came today saying, I'm ready for my life to change. I know I can't change myself. I need Jesus to save me. This is much more than just a temporary decision that affects your quality of life here on earth. This is eternity. I've got to be honest with you. What you decide with Jesus determines whether you go to heaven or hell. Everyone's going to learn, live eternally. The question is, is it with God or is it separated from the Lord? If God's working on your heart and right now you want to say, I want to put my faith in Christ. I want to surrender my life to him. Would you raise your hand and just hold it up high? You're raising it to Christ. Praise the Lord. Anybody else today says, that's me. Praise God. I see your hand right there. Praise the Lord, sir. You in the back. The Lord sees you. Anybody else? This is that's me. I'm going to give my heart to Christ. Praise the Lord. I see your hand here. Those of you that have your hand raised, pray this with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. I can't save myself. I can't change myself. I trust in what you did upon the cross. You can put your hands down. Father, we rejoice. We thank you for what you're doing in these people's lives. We just ask that you bless them. We pray blessing upon them. 
Encourage them, grow them in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.